Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Pensacola, Florida, it's time for Let's Talk Community with TLC Caregivers. Brought to you by TLC Caregivers. Good afternoon. I am Lou Donaldson with TLC Caregivers, and we are Northwest Florida's most established provider of in-home care to the elderly, to the young, and infirm. We uh, provide respite, companion, homemaker from four hours a day up to 24 hours a day. And we are very pleased to be joined today in Let's Talk Community with Dawn Shoemaker-Smith from the Department of Children's and Families. Welcome, Dawn. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm so excited about being here. Me too. I'm glad you're here. Um, of course, we've been chatting for quite a while, but I do want you to put out your your title I am Dawn Shoemaker-Smith, and I am the Adult Protective Investigator Supervisor for Scambia County. Okay. So you are with the Department of Children and Families, Adult Protective Services. Yes. And now you were telling me beforehand, though, your unit goes from here to Walton County. Our circuit does. Your Our, circuit so there does. Are, there are actually three units. Okay. There's two investigative units, and there are... Are, uh, there's one services unit, and uh, my particular unit, though, just covers Escambia County. Okay. Uh, all right, so you're in Escambia County, and you and I have actually crossed paths a lot of in the last, I guess, 15 years that I've been with TLC. And we've got a great deal to talk about. I, I hate that everybody missed our lunch conversation because usually it's much easier to... Uh, Oh, yeah, Talk, much yeah. more relaxed, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sitting here staring at microphones and our faces and things. Um, you had a lot of things that you wanted to start off. I, I want you to direct this with where what you'd like people to know, first of all, about the Department of Children and Families Adult Protective Services in Escambia County. Well, Adult Protective Services is very similar to the Child Protective Services that people are familiar with that we help people that are over the age of 18 that have a disability or they are infirmed in some way, they're vulnerable. So we deal with vulnerable adults. That would be any, anywhere from the infirmed 18-year-old from, uh, from there to 99-year-old mm-hmm. elderly woman. And it varies. It's never the same day twice with us. <laughs> And everything in between, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so you know this. Most of the people I work with know this. One of my biggest um, concerns, and I think something that's a very hard problem to solve, are people who practice self-neglect. Yes, yes. Um, we do investigate self-neglect as well as abuse, neglect, or exploitation, of our reports are self-neglect. 60%, really? Give or take, you know, like 59, 61, it's about 60% that come in. Okay, so how would DCF define self-neglect? How would you know, I don't mean the clinical definition, I mean, like, how would you know, give me an example of a typical way that people neglect themselves and become a danger to themselves. It presents in very different, you know, varied ways. It could be something as as small as not taking a bath every day to not taking their medicine properly, mm-hmm. um, 
are confusing their medication, not fully grasping what that medication is all about, and then do something that's really contraindicated to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we oftentimes, we'll, we'll have diabetics that aren't keeping up with the routine that is so complex to deal with their insulin. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it can be not keeping up with their yard or their keep out their house. I would it's, imagine nutrition it, could be a big problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So if I'm practicing self neglect, I probably don't realize it. I wouldn't necessarily pick up the phone and say, Don, it's Lou. I'm neglecting myself. How would you find out how, how would someone who was concerned about someone they suspected might be neglecting themselves or a victim of abuse, neglect, or exploitation, how would they go about getting them help? Well, they can contact the the toll-free number. It is a statewide number, which is 1-800-96-ABUSE or 1-800-962-2873. That number is the hotline that receives child reports and adult reports. They also can contact the Area Agency on Aging or the the um, Council on Aging can assist with them. But if they should call the hotline, then that is screened to a local unit. That would be here in Pensacola or in, out of the Okaloosa office. And then it would be assigned to an investigator, and we would go out and check it out. Usually, it's somebody, somebody's already seen the situation. Either a family member has gone in and just happened to, or see somebody at the grocery store. Right. They're right around you and I every day. Yes. And we may not be paying close enough attention, or we could notice and just think it's not our business. It is our business. By it is our business because the statute talks about that any person, that's any person in the state of Florida, is a mandatory reporter. You and I have talked about that. You know, mm-hmm. we're caregivers. We're in that caregiving role, and so we know that we're mandatory reporters. We know that the the doctor's office or the CNAs or the companions. We know we're mandatory reporters, but according to the statute 415, it says any person that suspects or knows of abuse, neglect, exploitation, or self-neglect, they should immediately call the hotline. Well, you and I share something else in common, and that is we are a family caregiver for someone who does not live right near us. Mm -hmm. Neither one of our loved ones live locally. As a member of their family, I would appreciate if somebody noticed something different was going on at my grandmother's house um, and, and picked up the phone and called someone. So in addition to being mandatory, we're meeting our responsibility to our neighbors and our friends, whether they're local or not, and we're making certain that someone does not fall victim to self-neglect, right? We're, it's part of our moral responsibility to other people. 
pay attention to your neighbors or the person that's at the bank. You know, there's, there are things that happen to the person that I care for that doesn't happen when I'm right there. <laughs> and I'm sure that that's the same as with, with other people that are in the community that are vulnerable. Mm-hmm. That's part of what makes them vulnerable. I can see how quickly it can happen because um, my family member can sound fine. Um, she's 12 hours away. If if we're talking on the telephone, that's what I'm judging it on. Just, you know, things the same. You know, I talk to the lawn guy, the mailman. Um, I've got the hotline to the fire department down the road from her. So I have community supports in place to help me. But in theory, she could decline or practice self-neglect. And I wouldn't know unless someone picked up the phone. She presents very well all the time. And she doesn't like people to worry, so she doesn't share a lot of the things mm. that I might need to know. Yes. Okay, so self-neglect. Uh, or if they don't really want to call the hotline, if they don't want to spend the time in going through and explaining this to a hotline counselor, there mm-hmm. is a way to report it online, and that is at reportabuse, all one word, dot dcf, dot state. .fl.us and that form that you can fill it in and you can actually think about what you're saying. Right. As a supervisor, I really appreciate that <laughs> because you uh, you you think about exactly what word and sometimes you come up with a more descriptive word than you would mm-hmm. in talking in, through a normal conversation with the with the counselor. Also, I get a copy of what you said. I get exactly what you inputted, and and sometimes with the counselor, um, they they might not exactly hear what you're saying, right? And so that wouldn't want to say that they documented an error, but it's just not as accurate as if you put it in there. And you see exactly what I type if I go online to report report yes. abuse dot dcf dot fl dot us yes okay well see i i would if i was going to go through the uh bother of reporting i would want you to know exactly what bothered me about it so that's and that's a nice thing not to have to sit on the telephone you can jump on the internet do it at your convenience or at your own speed exactly think about what you're talking about i like it Okay, well, I kind of jumped ahead because people report abuse, neglect, and exploitation using the same 1-800-96-ABUSE hotline or the online method. Um, And sometimes it is not self-neglect. Now, we just heard 60% of the time it is self-neglect. But um, there are other occasions of um, abuse, neglect, or exploitation, and they're reported the same way. That is correct. Okay. We receive um, two two different types of reports. The the self neglect reports are community reports, but the other community reports are ones where a household member, or family member, or a caregiver has abused somebody that's residing in the community. Okay. And then there's the facility reports, which is where we would go into a facility 
like an uh, assisted living facility or um, a nursing home to investigate an incident. Well, you had some really interesting statistics on this um, facility in home um, strangers we, versus we we do not investigate strangers in with adult protective services. Okay. Those are with the with the sheriff's department. Okay, but if they are a family member or household member or a caregiver, then that are in, that is in the home then we do investigate that. That's under your umbrella. Yes. But the sheriff's department, if a stranger were involved, the sheriff's department steps in. Okay. Mm -hmm. They investigate that. But our in-home, where our family members are the caregivers, are the ones that we investigate the most. It isn't the ones that there's the CNA, the facility is is abusing grandma. It's more that a family member is abusing or neglecting or exploiting their their family member that's vulnerable. Okay. Wow, that's unfortunate to hear. So someone calls it in, and the majority of the time you go to the home to investigate family or private caregiver, that kind of... Or the hospital. Or the hospital, if, there's been cases that have been so severe that they are already admitted into the hospital for that reason, hmm. for you know possible neglect issue. So neglect isn't just something sad that happens. It is a life-altering, potentially fatal problem in the state of Florida. Well, I'm sure it's in every state, but there's nothing we can do outside of Florida, so we'll focus on Florida's problems. Hmm. How many reports a year do we get in Escambia County? Do you know that? Uh, just I off the do. top of your head? I do. It is, um, well, just last year we received um, 1,071. That would be the calendar year from, well, not the calendar year, our fiscal year, July 1st of 2015 mm -hmm. to June 30th of 2016. In Escambia County alone, we had 1,071 reports. Wow. 1,071 reports in 365 days. Yes. I have six investigators that work for me. Now, of course, right now that's a little bit in flux with vacant positions, but mm -hmm. I have six positions full-time working for me. And I have a screener that I can't live without. I have <laughs> she keeps us going. We mm -hmm. keep it she keeps me straight. So these calls come in, they go through the screener um and they go to one of these six investigators or you. Yes, I'm taking <laughs> reports right now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you keep your spare hats in the back seat. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I really do. Um, so those, let's see. Let's just do the math. That's a lot of cases per investigator. Let's say you had seven active case managers last year for 1,071 cases. It's usually about one or two a week would be ideal. Mm -hmm. But they were getting four to five yeah. a week. Hmm. 
my goodness. So I pick up the phone, I, I um, make my complaint, or I go online and I make my complaint. It comes back to Escambia County. Many complaints the hotline doesn't take. Yes, it's a, it, it can be screened out. Um, sometimes not because we really want it to, but it just doesn't fit into the statutes that we're able to fit. So. Okay, so if I wanted to call DCF and say, hey, I want um, Susie to move out of my grandma's house, I don't want Susie to live with my grandma anymore. I'm not going to lead that to investigation, right? It's not going to get there because there's not an allegation that there is abuse, neglect, or exploitation. You're just wanting, you're just wanting Susie to leave. (laughs) Right. And I don't want to do the job (laughs) myself, obviously. (laughs) But if Susie's there and you're saying, well, Susie is, is not cleaning up after grandma like she's been charged to do then you know that was the deal that she move in with grandma and she keep the house clean then we're probably going to get a report on that still probably can't make her leave but we can address that with her. well and and nor should you be a housing authority we can focus on um the client you know the the client the the elderly person and let the family work out their own problems. So before I do any of this, I have to have my ducks lined up. I have to use common sense. I have to know what the guidelines are. Um, or I can call the hotline or do it online and have someone help me decide what the guidelines are. That is exactly right. That's why the hotline counselor is there. If we do not accept a report, the hotline counselor is going to give you an avenue to go. Okay, so nobody goes without help. It's just whether it leads to investigation or not. True. Okay. So when we do get a report from the hotline, um, it really needs to have information about where that alleged victim is going to be. Because if I don't know where they are, then I really can't protect them. Okay. As much uh, demographic information would be great. Because if I have, if I have some background information, then it might, it it might depend on what services I can provide. I I think that you and I have talked about with Humana, um, that might make a difference. Or if it's Sunshine Care, mm-hmm. or if they just have a straight Medicaid, or if they might have a good bank account of their mm-hmm. own. Mm-hmm. There's you know that might be something that they could potentially use their their own funds for for services to help them so all that information is really good for us before we go out mm-hmm. as much of it as possible and any family members that that you would know i'd, I'd want to know those numbers if you possibly have them let me ask you something if you came to my home because um someone made a complaint that i was would you look at those things would you say what what are your you know, we think that you would, your situation would be better if you had assistance in the home. Can you kind of guide them towards things like Medicaid services or Area Agency on Aging for Council on Aging Assistance, those kinds of things? Yes, we can. We can guide them. And there's some, so if it's, if the risk, 
if their safety risks are so bad, mm-hmm. there are some priorities of when Adult Protective Services makes the referral, okay. such as like with the Council on Aging, if the person is over 60 and is at risk of incident institutionalization or mm-hmm. at risk of going into a nursing home, then we can go in and we can make that referral to the council on aging and they have 72 hours in order to get services out there where generally it's a waiting list. Right. And that's not a first come first serve waiting list. Right. That's a, you know, you might be on there two or three years with the, with the area agency on aging only because it's a needs-based waiting list. Okay, so the person who needs it the most goes to the top of the list. Exactly. Well, that's that's helpful. I um I find it pretty interesting that um the investigation from Adult Protective Services isn't a negative thing when we are looking at the abuse, neglect, or exploitation of an elderly person, whether it's self-neglect or not. So. Someone screens to make sure that you and the uh, investigators aren't just barraged with family issues versus real, real um, abuse, neglect, exploitation issues. And then there's a solution for the family member as well. We can help you get this person services through the Council on Aging or this long-term care insurance policy will assist your family member in remaining independent in their own home for as long as possible. So I guess we're talking about least restrictive environment. You are dedicated yes. to the least restrictive environment. I love that. Yes. How many people every year? Well, no, that's not a fair question. I won't go there. So you had a, um, a graph that you showed me that unfortunately we can't share with people listening, but um, we're back to in-home versus institutional. Um. And this goes back to family caregivers, for whatever reason, are more likely to um, be investigated for abuse, neglect, or exploitation. Yes. Like I said, there are much more cases that last year um, we had 77 reports that were in facilities that had verified abuse or neglect or exploitation. But in the community, those family caregivers, Mm -hmm. we had 660 that were verified for abuse, neglect, and exploitation. So there's so much more exponentially of family caregivers that that abuse is going on. And we are... You know, we're dedicated to try to assist mm-hmm. those alleged victims in alleviating those risks of further abuse, neglect, or exploitation, or self-neglect. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it leads you back to you use community resources. Are there resources for the family members who are family caregivers? Yes. Oh, yes. That would be like TLC. Well, yes. And of course, obviously, we want everybody to, you know, to use TLC and, and get in-home care. Um, I know that the Council on Aging does support groups for family yeah. caregivers. Right. Caregivers. Who else groups. 
And Lakeview does a, a, a Lakeview few. Center mm-hmm. does some. Okay. So you could contact the Council on Aging at 432-1475 and ask about caregiver supports. Or Lakeview Center, which is 432-1222, both in area code 850, by the way. And ask about caregiver support groups or educational series. Yes. Also, there are Alzheimer's support groups. With um, there are a few of them popping up, and I don't. I, I'm sorry, I don't have those numbers. But there's Alzheimer Family Services that do have some um, some support groups as well. Right, which is available through Covenant Care uh, locally in Pensacola, and uh, I know that the hospitals have informative. I guess the thing is, reach out if you're a family caregiver or expecting to become a family caregiver, not to wait until the wagon's in the ditch or you're overwhelmed or exhausted, which can lead to abuse, neglect, or exploitation of an elderly person and reach out for our vulnerable, vulnerable adult under 60. We handle in-house, which is what our services unit handles. Mm -hmm. So it's very, it's, it's just a, a mirror image of the Council on Aging Services for for the disabled adult. Now, see, this is, I think, part of the problem. We're so used to what we do and dealing in this arena that sometimes we forget even what's available. I, I do because I did just gloss over the under 60 crowd. And, you know, we do a lot of work with people under the age of 60 also. Well, there could be... Homemaker services, mm-hmm. that companion, that um, respite, sure. respite for the mm-hmm. caregiver, and um, home delivered meals for that person that's self neglecting, that nutritional boost there, and then um, also there could be a caregiver that just needs some help during the day while they're at work. Mm-hmm. They can't leave their mama at home. So they can go to the, maybe the Oaks Daycare Center, mm-hmm. not the Oaks anymore. The retreat. retreat. The retreat. That's uh, right. At the Council on Aging on Roy Street. That was an amazing adult daycare. Today was volunteer day from TLC at the, at the retreat. That's a great day. <laughs> we have a lot of fun there. But yes, there is another great resource. It is an adult daycare um, where you can take a loved one or a neighbor or anyone that you care about, and they can receive meals and entertainment and meaningful activity during the day while the main caregiver is out working. And that information is available at the Council on Aging through at, uh, 850-432-1475, which is another way that an, a family caregiver who's overworked or stressed out can get a little bit of a respite break. You and I talked um, briefly about people reaching out um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, You can pick up the phone and call TLC at 850-857-0920. We have many of these community resources. Uh, Ask the question, hey, I'm looking for a support group for family caregivers, or I need some information on Alzheimer's care. TLC doesn't have that information ourselves, but we do have the resource to get you in touch with the people that you need to speak to. 
So I want to remind everybody at any time that that's, if you need assistance and uh, don't know exactly where to start to look for it, give us a call at area code 850-857-0920. Now back on tasks. See, I like education too. I I think we could solve world peace if we educated people. Um, And I like to make sure everyone has the information that they need. So where were we? We were talking about neglect, um, and we've given people an out or a way to get more information. What, what rights does the person who's being investigated have? Wow, then it, that person that's over the age of 18 has lots of rights where the, the children aren't given those rights until that magical birthday. Right, 18. 18. So um, they, they have a right to not talk to me. They have a right to refuse any services that I would have to offer them. They have the right to accept them too. Um, they, and hopefully they do. Hopefully they're able yeah. to. Then there's some of them that may not be, um, that may not be the right one for them. Right. Right. Um, they, they may not like the Meals on Wheels. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have a, a church member that brings them nutritional meals every day. They don't particularly need that. I'm going to probably offer it to them anyway. Right. But they have the right to refuse that. Um, if they've got someone coming in to clean, if they're paying a private person to come clean, then come clean their home, then I can offer them for someone to come out and, and clean their home and they can turn me down. They may already have that particular need covered, but, um, they have the right to accept or refuse. Generally, they do. Okay. Okay. If they lack that capacity to consent to the or refuse to services, then there are things that we can do to assist at reducing reducing their risk. Okay. So capacity to consent. To consent. We talk about this a great deal. It is my right to say no, but I have to to have mental capacity I have to know what I'm turning down basically is that sum it's, it up yes yes you know the capacity to consent can can be defined so many ways but so many different ways it isn't the co- the competency that you would go through the court and have a a panel interview you to determine whether or not you're mentally capable of handling certain tasks. And then a judge says, yes, you're, you're incompetent. We're not at that level of, of assessment with our investigations. Okay. It's more, you know, are you, are you with it at this moment? I can tell you that if uh, you see me at a local establishment with Kenny, Halt at two o'clock in the morning. I am not going to have capacity to consent. <laughs> but, well. but there overall, generally, I do have capacity to consent. Sure, you can make your own decisions. Right. Well, that's what we try to assess when we go out there 
to the homes or to the facilities to see if they have that mental ability to uh, to say yes or no and know what they're talking about. And sometimes that is an obstacle for us. I mean, I'd like for it to be uh, a help and they do consent. But uh, sometimes, it, you know, I would really like to give services to individuals, but they just say no. So we can't, we can't make them, we can't force them unless they lack the capacity to consent. And they still could say no. Honestly, that's the whole line of questioning. I'd like people to see that this is not somebody kicking in the front door and, and saying, this is what you're going to do because I, this total stranger, just fell into your life and I say that's what's going to happen. I'd like them to see DCF as the way most of us see it, as someone who offers the opportunity for someone to have the assistance they need to live the lifestyle they want to live in with dignity and in the environment of their choice. It is much more cheaper for them to be at home than it is for them to be in a, in a nursing home or... Assisted living, okay. So you, assisted living can be so much more, ex, so much more expensive. And you know, the day may come I might want to move to a retirement thing when I'm old. I don't know that I want to maintain my home or do any of that. But think about how offensive that is. You spend your whole life working a job away from home so you can pay for this home, and then you retire and you get to stay home for a little bit, and then somebody shows up and says, "Oh." You shouldn't live here by yourself. That's offensive. (laughs) I mean, I'm just being honest. I don't want that to happen to me. And in all honesty, at TLC, most of the people that we provide services for need assistance with such a minor. Just a little couple hours a day or a couple hours a week. A couple hours a day. um, Some companion services. A little bit of housekeeping that might be a little bit out of their physical ability right now. And I, I, I think it's very liberating. I think assisted living facilities are a great idea for people who want to go there or people who need to go there, um, recuperation, those kinds of things. But I think overall we should have the ability to stay at home. And I would like everybody to see that big picture of DCF is about keeping you in the least restrictive environment. You do a lot of work every year to keep people there, right? I do. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it and it does. Um, it's very important to look at the individual situation. I mean, just in cases that I've worked in the last month, you know, there was a lady that knows all of her neighbors, mm-hmm. but when she first moved into a, a neighborhood, but then now, as she's as those neighbors have moved away, and and there's new neighbors that don't come knock on the door to find out how she's doing, she's willing to go to a nursing home. Sure. You know, or go to an assisted living. So she has that that um, social activity or, you know, friends that are around where then there's another, you know, there's another lady that I ran into that she'd rather just stay at home. And she has mm-hmm. family that comes in and and... She has church members that come to see her. and 
and all she needs is just a little bit more hour here and there. Mm-hmm. That well, shout out to the churches who do um, deliver meals to. We used to call them shut-ins. I don't think we call them that in my church anymore. But people who aren't maybe able to get out uh, for Sunday services, or they can get out on Sunday, but they can't get out Monday through Friday. Um, there's a lot of people that do take care of their neighbors, run a plate by my neighbor's house because he's been sick or something like that. Uh, we'd like to think that that goes on all the time, but I'm afraid that that's becoming an antiquated ritual, <clears throat> getting to know our neighbors and reaching out to them. It's a shame, especially when you think about uh, it means the difference for some elderly people between no contact with anyone from the outside world for days for days days you and i are on the same facebook page and uh somebody posted the other day i don't remember who did it but it was a video about a woman who goes around talking to homeless people because some homeless people only hear their name every some ridiculous number of days so she tries to find out their name in a conversation and use their name. So they're accustomed to hearing it now because of what I do, I was looking, well, there's thousands of elderly people that might not hear their name for much longer than that. Yes. So yeah. Cause there's no one around. There's except the dog right. or, or the cat or cats. <laughs> well, how would you build a successful community relationship if you were a family member and and let, let's build a hypothetical person you and i have a family member who lives alone and we don't live there how would we build community supports in to make sure that our loved one without reinventing the wheel had outside contact i know the mailman stops every day could we make the mailman familiar with our loved one? Maybe stop him. I did this actually with my grandmother. <clears throat> I wanted him to know that she lived alone. Uh, he's had a background screen. He's a federal employee. He's not, you know, somebody running around with a chainsaw and a face mask on. So um, I <clears throat> alerted him that she was 99 years old and she lived alone how else what other community supports every day that are in our neighborhoods could we enlist to pop in on on seniors it could be their their local housing unit can, can check yeah on there's them. a good one um or their homeowners association could stop in to see them in their neighbors. Yeah. Um, I mentioned church because that is a, that is, you know, important to so many people, but um, it could be a, maybe a, a choral group that they might be associated with if they like to sing. Okay. Or, you know, think about what their hobbies are and what they like to do and maybe get them more involved in or run down, um, something that they could get involved with if they weren't able to get out that 
that is a little bit harder to do um, if they're more homebound. But if the if the vulnerable adult wants to get you know wants to have more people or needs to have more people checking mm-hmm. on them, if they don't make it to to a if they don't make it to choir practice or to the you know soapbox races, then then maybe somebody from that group would check on them. I think that's a good idea. So maybe let their social acquaintances, even if they haven't been around for a while, know, hey, you know, there's been a change and now she's living alone or uh, whatever the case is, you know, and, and make people aware. So you could use, obviously, um, services like TLC caregivers. Uh, in home care, you could use the Council on Aging or the Area Agency on Aging. <clears throat> and this is before uh, you would need Adult Protective Services involved to reach out and get an isolated person a little bit less isolated. Maybe somebody from the church or community activity check on them. <clears throat> I think the idea is if enough people throw together and toss around some ideas, you could come up with the perfect plan. That's assuming there is no family involvement. You know, there are times that I like to make a plan of, okay, on Tuesdays, um, you, granddaughter, call and check in with your grandmother. And then, okay, grandson, your day is Wednesday. Check in with your Mm -hmm. grandmother. Mm -hmm. And so there's at least a family member contacting them every day. Isn't that good, though, that the family, and, and and I think that goes back to education. We don't think about the fact that we haven't spoken to grandma in a week, maybe, <clears throat> or maybe grandpa just passed and we aren't used to reaching out on a consistent basis. And we just need to be educated in the fact, hey, life is different right now and we need to change our pattern of communication or behaviors so you can use just about anything to help someone remain independent in their home you go you do your investigation and and let's assume that it's self-neglect with a little bit of assistance they could very easily remain independent in their own home sure Sure, our our recommendations for for them to go out, go out more and, and interact or or not, mm-hmm. just to you know develop our own little safety plan. And they're definitely contributors to that safety plan. I love that. I love that they have the opportunity because I think that makes the difference. We're not <clears throat> um, advocating that anybody should force someone to do something against their will. You're drawing family resources with the client themselves together and saying, how can we make this happen? Well, that's um, a very good thing to keep in mind, but I, hopefully, excuse me, it takes some of the, um, the myth away from what DCF does. I know for a long time there was um, a misunderstanding that, you know, the state wanted to make people do things or the state knew the perfect way for everyone to live. And while you and I were discussing at lunch, individualism is not something any of us want to give up. We want to be treated like individuals. 
And I think it's fantastic that you have that opportunity. There, oh, are we running out of time? No, you're still no? good. Good. Well, talking about the, uh, you know, like there's so, there are things that we cannot do with in the in the you know adult protective services with the state. There are things like Baker Acts. We don't have the ability to Baker Act anyone. Right. Um, now, law enforcement and a judge or your doctor can. Right. But we don't have that ability. Um, we can go out and offer for for them to go to a, a facility, go to, to a mental health um, provider or mm-hmm. for them to be screened for maybe a, a, a an acute problem. Okay. But we're, we're, we can't make them do anything. They still have those same rights, you know, as anybody else over Capacity 18. Capacity to yes. consent. Yes. And then um, I can't arrest anybody. So I'm not really all that much of a threat. Don, working with you all these years, it, it makes me laugh when you say that because you... <laughs> You wouldn't want to arrest anyone, no, would you? No. <laughs> no. Yeah. I I think it would help if people could see you, too, because they would believe it. <laughs> you don't look like you're running around tossing people to the ground and handcuffing them. <laughs> so what else is it that DCF cannot do? Uh, you have to have my consent. You have to live by the rules. You're not police. Well, there might be a family member that wants um, Uncle John out of the house. Right. Because, you know, Uncle John has just been a loafer all of his life, but uh, Mama wants to take care of him. So he's, you know, he's going to stay there. I can't, if if Mama wants him to stay, then he's not going anywhere. So you're not going to stop Mama from enabling people that she's enabled most of her life or, or most of the you other know, person's I can, life. Give some recommendations. I can talk to her about, you know, do you know this is a, you know, this is enabling him that you might want to give him some things to do around the house to help you, you know, some chores. But I can't make a, I can't make anybody leave the home that the natural patriarch or matriarch of that family is or that household is going to say, no, they can stay. Right. Right. Again, capacity, that's like capacity to consent. You can't, you won't come in and tell me what I have to do. Mm -hmm. You ask me if I want the assistance. Exactly. Hmm. Is there anything else you'd like anybody to know about what you do or DCF itself in the program? Well, we do have, like we said, the comparable services to the Council on Aging. We have the community care for the disabled adult. And uh, that particular program, we are able to maybe address some ongoing issues Mm -hmm. that the person might have, um, maybe with consumable um, supplies. Um, Consumable are things that people... Yeah, if they have incontinence and Dur- the, okay. they have, they will need depends mm-hmm. or or checks to protect the bed. Those that are, um, or maybe nutritional 
supplements if they we might be able to supply some insure for them to so that they can keep up their their vitamins and minerals meet a nutritional goal okay yes. well that's good um maybe have that care that ho- that caregiver homemaker to come in once or twice a week to to help clean up the house for the person under 60 um and CC, CCDA funding is federal funding, isn't it? It is state funded. State funded. And okay. it, I think it's 50-50. Okay. But I'm not positive on that one. Yeah, me either. But um, I, I think that's pretty cool that you can financially assist someone with something as easy as nutrition. Insure is not cheap, <laughs> nor is yeah. it free. And uh, obviously necessary for a lot of people. And then another program that we have is the home care for the disabled adult, which is where if the vulnerable adult requires 24-hour caregiving, Mm -hmm. then we can provide that caregiver a a stipend of $120 a month. Now, that's to help with maybe paying for extra things mm-hmm. that they need that the vulnerable adult needs or to, to help pay for maybe an additional hour for a caregiver to come respite in and respite care. yes mm-hmm. okay well we are just about out of time and i would like to very much thank dawn shoemaker smith with the Department of Children and Families Adult Protective Services investigation here in Pensacola, Scamby County. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, that was my pleasure. And uh, we'll continue this talk long after we're off the air, I'm sure. Thanks so much for joining us. It has been a lot of fun. I am Lou Donaldson with TLC Caregivers. Thanks for tuning in. This show is brought to you by TLC Caregivers. TLC Caregivers, we do more than you think. Learn more at tlccaregivers.com.